I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest grew up in the aquatic world. Her father coached one of the most decorated Olympic swimmers in history, Jenny Thompson. And her mother was a collegiate All-American diver and her diving coach until she was 14. So maybe with that background, it's no surprise to hear that Jessica Barato is now an Olympic silver medalist, a two-time Olympian, a 12-time national champion, an NCAA champion, and a world championship bronze medalist. Maybe some of her talent or love for the water was just built into her DNA. But as Jessica tells her story, you'll realize that there was no pressure of adding to her family's legacy or choosing this aquatic path. It was more that her parents seemed to simply have a passion that naturally flowed out to their kids. And that impressive resume I just listed, she's not even done yet. Following her second Olympics in Tokyo, Jessica was looking forward to finally being a, quote, normal person after a lifetime of prioritizing diving. But her Olympic silver medal synchro partner, Delaney Schnell, successfully persuaded her to get that suit back on and give it one more go. Jessica is also competing at the 2024 World Aquatic Championships coming up in Doha on February 6th. So keep up with the latest news and results from World Championships at worldaquatics.com. Now, in our conversation, Jessica opens up about leaving home at the age of 14 to train at the National Training Center. She talks about the ups and downs of Rio, the synchro turmoil that you go through finding a synchro partner, what it was like to win an Olympic medal and how things have shifted now as she's chosen to be a synchronized diving specialist. Look, Pursuit Peeps, it's a brand new year, which means this is the perfect time to start evaluating your skill set and figuring out how you can grow and become an even better athlete in 2024. If you've been wanting to start harnessing your mental game, but you're just not sure where to start, I have the perfect free gift for you. I created a guide with the top 10 mental skills that every athlete must have. And it's not just a list of skills. It's a guide and it's a self-assessment to help you kickstart your journey to confidence. So go grab your free copy over at laurawilkinson.com slash skills. That's laurawilkinson.com slash skills. Before we get started, please make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button and give Pursuit of Gold a five-star review. But more importantly, share your favorite episodes of your show with your friends. Post them on social media. Word of mouth is the strongest recommendation that a podcast can have. You sharing our show helps us grow so that we can continue to bring you more resources, tools, and inspiration. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Jessica Parado, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so excited to finally have you on here and hear all of your story. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I want to go back to the beginning. I love kind of hearing everybody's backgrounds and yours is unique because your dad was a swim coach of somebody very famous and your mom was your diving coach. So kind of kind of fill us in on some of this background, a very aquatic family from the beginning. Yes, very aquatic family. So I grew up in New Hampshire, very small town. Uh, my parents ran a swim team called Seco Swimming Association. And that was just where you know, I got my start. Obviously, I grew up on the pool deck there. My dad coached swimming and my mom also coached swimming with him. And then uh, my mom coached diving as well and then coached me growing up. So it was really cool. It was really just 
me on the diving end with my mom and my sister on the swimming end with my dad. My dad also coached my sister. So very, (laughs) very unique. Yeah. Very unique type of family dynamic, but I feel like it really brought us a lot closer too. And it was just such a, it was such a fun time and just really cool to see both my parents at their job and, you know, doing what they love to do. So it really inspired me honestly as well. Did you ever feel like pressure, like you guys had to do swimming or diving? Like it was it a yeah. requirement? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would think so. I get this question all the time and I love answering it because my parents made me and my sister feel so comfortable and just wanting to do whatever we wanted to do in life, whether it's like different sports, you know, different academic stuff. Like we just really got to choose from a very young age and like it really came from us. So I did a lot of sports growing up. I did swimming, I did diving, gymnastics, soccer, dance. I mean, I did it all. I have no idea how my parents did it, but uh, I was running around doing like two sports a day when I was little. It was crazy. But yeah, I mean, there there were times when I was little and I would be like, you know what, mom, I don't really want to dive anymore. Like, I I think I'm done. And she's like, okay. She's like, do what you want to do. And then the next day, of course, I would come around and be like, I'm coming to practice. (laughs) So (laughs) it was really up to me. And they let us guide our own paths from a very young age. And I think that's so, so important from a young age. And it just, it gave me the longevity in the sport because I was in control of my path and my destiny. And they never, ever pushed us into sport ever. So it was always our choice. And yeah, like like I said, I feel like that's why I'm still here diving today, today at almost 30 years old, still loving the sport. So yeah. I love that. I love it. Yeah, you didn't burn out. You loved it because it was your choice. That's very mm-hmm. cool. What made you decide on that? Like you're doing all these other sports. Like what made you say, okay, diving is the one for me? So I did gymnastics and I loved gymnastics. It was definitely a close second. Um, But I remember, I think I was around 12 years old. I had made my first junior nationals and I was so excited. Just missed out on the final. I remember I got 13th and you had to make top 12. And I was bummed because, of course, a 12-year-old just wanted to go to the finals to wave because we got to walk out. And um, (laughs) That's kind of a big deal, being introduced in front of everybody. I get that. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, I wanted to wave, like, (laughs) which is so funny looking back. But gymnastics that year, I had qualified for, I think it was regionals, where you represent your state. So I got to represent uh, New Hampshire. And I just remember looking around, these little tiny, like, six-year-olds were, like, better than me. And I was just like, ooh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can have uh, some, uh, I don't know, just experience later on in the sport. Like, I, I don't know how much longer I could do this and be successful at it. And I loved it, but I just think I was an, a realist at a young age. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I know I want to go to college for a sport and it's either going to be gymnastics or diving. And I mean, having this conversation just in my head at 12 years old, and I was like, you know, it makes more sense for me to... I think pursue diving and I'd mm-hmm. I'd love it just as much. It was, you know, obviously something I wanted to do still. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really like, oh, I I'm just not that good at gymnastics. I don't want to do it. It was just like, well, I know I have the equal passion for it, but I just think this is more my path. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I I, I kind of just wanted to see what I could do later on and diving seemed like that was the one. So I can totally relate to that. Now, what level were you in gymnastics? Because you were going to regionals. So you had to be up yeah. there. I was training nine, but I was level eight. Okay. I, I was very, very similar boat. And at like 13, almost 14 was kind of in the same, like, I think I could stay at this level, but I don't know that I really have much farther to go, but I feel like there's something else I could do to like, mm-hmm. I had big, big aspirations and I wanted to go farther in something. So I could totally, yeah. totally relate to that. But 
How did you go from a 12-year-old who is doing pretty well in gymnastics, but figuring it's the end of the road to two years later, right, at the Olympic trials for diving at 14 or something like that? Wasn't it about that? You were young. Yeah, my first Olympic trials, I was actually, I believe I was 17, turning 18, so a little older. But basically, I moved to the uh, National Training Center at the time. So it was around 2009 in Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. how that oh, wait, came how, to, how old were you then? Yeah. 14. Yep. 14, 14 years old. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So how that came to be was basically growing up in, in New Hampshire, there's not a lot of platforms around. And uh, I used to go to like zone meets, junior zone meets and, you know, learn a five meter list, compete it. And then you learned somehow, it at the meet. Exactly. In the meet warm up, <laughs> in, in the meet warm up. We would have some times randomly where my mom would take me to Harvard. Um, we knew the coach very well there. And then MIT, but they only had like a seven meter and a five meter. So well, like how far of a drive was that? An hour, over an hour. Okay. okay. Yeah. But it wouldn't happen very often because obviously my parents were very busy coaching. So my mom took me to this junior training, I think like a junior training camp in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of playing around on the towers. Didn't really know, you know, that many dives, like really, really inexperienced. Somehow, no idea why, Wenbo Chen, who was one of the coaches at the National Training Center, saw something in me, called my mom up after the camp and said, hey, we'd love to talent identify Jess. Can we bring her in for like a three-month trial period to see if she would be a good fit for us? And, and my mom was like, whoa, like this kind of came out of left field. Like, And I, I was like, what is that? What does that even mean? Like, These are like national champions, Olympians training here. Like I... Don't even have backs and gainers on three meter yet. (laughs) (laughs) I basically was a little confused why they were asking. So Wenbo, anyway, Wenbo came to Boston, the Boston area, and we met up and did like kind of a trial run right before. He was like, yep, like we want to see what she can do in this three months. Like, is she willing to go? And my mom's like, wow, I mean, we're going to need a little bit of time for Jess to think about it. But yeah, like we'll get back to you. So I was just like, whoa, this is like huge. You know, I want to be a platform diver. Like I want to see where it takes me. Like I didn't really have any crazy aspirations at the time just because I was, again, a realist. And I was just like, well, I do want to dive in college. Like maybe that'll help me get into a good college. And so it took me a while to decide. And I was really trying to figure it out. I was like, I never thought I'd be the type of person to like uproot myself and move for diving. And yeah, you know, I used to think yeah. it's a really big deal. And I I kind of would look at people that who did that. I was like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I would never do that. And, you know, I was trying to ask my parents, you know, obviously very amazing coaches to me and just for some guidance, really, like as a coach, like and a parent, of course. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what do you think I should do? And they were like, nope, this is you. This is something that if it's going to make you happy, you need to do it. And if you're not sure about it, then don't do it. Like, but we can't really push you to do it. And, and again, it's it's the whole guiding myself type of uh, talk and mindset that they were trying to give me the reins and make me decide for myself, which I really, really appreciated at the time. And of course now. And so I was very, very unsure of what to do. So I remember one day at practice, I was asking one of my dad's assistant coaches, I was like, what would you do? Like, I, I need some guidance here. Like, they're not giving me anything. And I remember she was like, well, like, Jess, you're never going to know until you just like, get out there and just try, like, give it a shot. You're never going to get this shot again. Like you Mm -hmm. say you want to do this and that and get a scholarship for diving and think about how that could affect your life in the future. Like you never know if you don't just try. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, okay. It sounds pretty simple, but I was like, that really made an impact on me. And, uh, so I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing it. And, uh, 
packed up some of my suitcases, uh, left for Indianapolis and stayed with a host family for three months. Wow. And so what was that three months like? Oh my gosh. It was definitely a whirlwind. I mean, it's totally a blur now thinking back, but the so amount of was things... Win- was Winbo coaching you or was Wingfield coaching you? So Wenbo was coaching me at the time for the first three, maybe longer than three months because it ended up being longer than that. But it was from the beginning of 2009 until the summertime. Mm-hmm. And then around the summertime was when Wenbo got the job at Minnesota. After that, I was coached by John Wingfield, which was the other coach at the National Training Center right. for those listening who may not know. After three months, were you just like, I love this. I love this environment. I want to be yeah. doing this. Or were you still kind of unsure at that point? I feel like I was still a little unsure. Like I was learning stuff every day, like so many different things. It was crazy. And just getting better every single day. So I was excited about that. It was hard. I was breaking, you know, lots of habits that were bad, which is great, but it was really, really hard mentally, I think. Um, Well, and you don't have your parents there to support you because you're with the host family, like at 14, like was that, that had to be challenging too. It was extremely challenging. So from someone who had never been away from home, not really away from their parents too much, that was really hard. There was definitely some nights where there was a lot of tears for sure. So Yeah, being away was difficult. Schooling was difficult being away. Um, I was kind of in between homeschool and like still doing school back home in my hometown. So Mm -hmm. it was just really difficult in that type of way. But yeah, I mean, as as soon as I kind of got the hang of it, going into the summertime, I went to my first senior nationals. And I feel like that's when I started to be like, oh, like I've always wanted to go to a national championships, like a senior nationals. Like, this is crazy. I was just really excited to do 10 meter and be up there. So within a span of, I I guess it was six months, I went from, oh my gosh, doing like a couple dives off five meter and seven meter to doing a full synchro list. I don't know how I did it, but I hope, I think I was ready for it. (laughs) But you know, obviously like I trusted Wenbo, I trusted John and I don't know, it kind of just took off from there. Yeah, it really did. And so, so you made the 2012 trials. So at 17, and you were also trying some big dives back then too, that other girls weren't really doing. So what was kind of the evolution of learning your platform list? Cause you said you first learned that kind of standard synchro list, which for those listening, it's three optional dives, like the harder spinning dives where individually you do five of them. So it's kind of like, that's a great like lead in. You get to do synchro. You can go to those big senior meets without having the full list, like great for experience for kids up and coming for sure. But you vaulted quickly to the full list and then learning super hard dives. You're competing like really well on the national stage. Like what is this just uptick? And how did your, like when you decided to move to Indianapolis, like did your mom go with you? Were you by yourself? Like, you know, I've always heard of like gymnasts doing that and I've known divers to do it. I just didn't personally like know anybody that did that at that age. So like, Mm -hmm. what was that experience like? I ended up staying with a host family, one host family for three months. And then I stayed with actually Sarah Bacon's family for three months. So it was a total of six months without them. And then my mom moved with me for a year. My dad stayed home. We had our house there and he was coaching and my sister went off to college. So all of a sudden we were all separated. But obviously it was amazing to have my mom there with me. But really, really hard on my parents, just them being separate. Like they've never been apart, you know, and... Mm -hmm. And my dad was alone in my hometown. So that was really hard for him to be away from all three of us girls and to go from a house full of girls to 
you know, nobody. Bachelor pad. <laughs> yeah. I remember him telling me after the fact, he was like, yeah, I mean, I really, really missed you guys. Like he was like, sometimes I feel like I almost heard your voices. I missed you that much. Aww. And I was like, it was so sweet. So that was the dynamic there. Eventually my dad did move with us for the last two years I was in high school. So that was amazing. But yeah, this trajectory was definitely something that I didn't see coming. I always saw myself as not that great at diving as a junior diver, just level on the playing field. Like I would win regionals growing up, but then, you know, I'd still qualify for nationals and stuff, but I wasn't like, you know, winning at all. I wasn't that superstar junior diver by any means. So I don't know. I feel like I had all the passion in the world for the sport, all the determination and drive. And I think what was really just driving me again was really like, I want to dive in college. I want to be a great platform diver. And I had goals, you know, I wanted to go to world championships and I wanted to eventually like go to the Olympics, but that kind of just happened really gradually. Cause I just, I guess I didn't want to like put it out to the universe that I was like, okay, I am definitely doing this. I know I can do it. Cause I didn't, I was like, that seems really far fetched. And you know, watching my um, dad coach Olympians like Jenny Thompson and later on Reagan Smith, you know, that was kind of like watching him and Jenny interact when I was little, like that really kind of put the thought in my head from a young age of the Olympics, but it also wasn't something I thought was possible. So it was always somewhere in the back of my mind, but I just didn't think I could achieve it. So training with all these junior national, senior national champions, Olympians, it was hard, but it was also really motivating. And I think they helped me to become a great diver and just push me in the pool every single day. I mean, we trained like seven hours a day. It was crazy. But yeah, just slowly but surely, you know, my coach, John Wingfield, he just believed in me so much, so much more than myself <laughs> than I believed in myself. So he would, you know, say, oh, you can do this dive and this dive. And I'm like, you're crazy. And then I ended up uh, doing 207B. Uh, back three and a half pike when I was, I think it was 15 or 16 years old. Wow. And then same age, I did back two and a half, two and a half as well. That was really fun. I got to compete both. I ended up stopping doing them at some point just because, especially for two and a half, two and a half, no other women were doing it at the time. And it was just hard because I was going back and forth from synchro doing two and a half, one and a half to two and a half, two and a half. And I'm sure you can relate to that. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And then eventually later on in my career with Drew Johansson at IU, I did uh, 207B again. I loved watching that because I always thought it was so cool because there weren't a whole lot of girls in our event like pushing the boundaries, you know. And, and, and after I retired and a couple other girls like Paolo Espinoza and Emily Haymans that were doing some of the bigger dives, like we all kind of retired around the same time, at least from platform. And Nobody else is doing it except you were popping in there. And then, yeah, nobody. So it's kind of wild. But it was fun to see somebody like pushing the boundaries to see what was possible in there. So walk us through as you start to like, what is the timeline when you start making world championships when you're going to college? Like, what are all of those transitions like as well? Like, did you have your eye on like, I want to go to IU? Like, this is it? Like, you're not going anywhere else? Or did you look all around? At what point? was worlds in there too? Cause it seemed mm -hmm. to kind of all explode together for you. Yeah, no, for sure. So I made my first world team in 2011. I think I just turned 17 at the time. Mm -hmm. And so that was an amazing experience. It was in Shanghai, China, beautiful pool. And it was just really, really cool to be surrounded by these divers that I've looked up to forever. So yeah, kind of from there was like, I just missed out on the final. I think I got 15 and I, I was like, individually 
Individually. Yes. Yes. So I made it individually and I was really motivated after that. I was like, you know what? I think that this is a possibility. Like I can really try and do this. So the next year was Olympic year. I was looking pretty good uh, going into trials, felt good. And then unfortunately got a little bit of a wrist injury, could barely hold an arm stand. So ended up getting, I think like ninth. So I really kind of dropped down there, but it was an amazing experience. I didn't feel like it was really necessarily my time. Like I felt like I needed more experience. So for me, it wasn't super crushing or heartbreaking, but it was definitely motivating. And from there, I was kind of like, my eyes were like set on Rio. I think going into the college decision process, I always loved the IU team. Every time I would go to nationals, they had this massive team. They had so much fun. And I got close with them just going to national meets. So they were always number one for me just because they felt like home. They felt like family. I think a big part of it at the time was like, I had uprooted my life, my family's life for diving to move to Indiana. And now I have, you know, these connections in Indiana. I've been living here and it it felt like home. It felt right. So I pretty much knew after my visit that I was going to go there. Pretty sure I said it, even though I don't think I was supposed to say it, but I was like, I'm coming. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I was so excited. I think the only other school I really seriously considered was Texas. But yeah, I pretty much decided right from there. I even canceled my Texas trip just because I was like, I'm going here. Like this is, this is the place for me. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So it just felt right. I just had a gut feeling about it. And that was, I was a freshman in 2013. I ended up taking a red shirt season for the 2013-14 season because I had taken six months off diving prior to my freshman year for my wrist. I just wanted to rehab that, get that better. I didn't want to push into like my first season mm-hmm. and just kind of be like physically down bad if something were to happen with it. I just really wanted to heal and do things properly, do it right, kind of have a fresh start with it. So I did that, healed up, ended up going to Worlds that summer. And then so 2014-15 season was my first collegiate season. And how was your college experience? Was it like everything you hoped for? Kind of. I feel like <laughs> I really <laughs> I feel like I I didn't really know what to expect, but it, gosh, looking back on it, it's such a special thing because in such an individual sport like diving, being a teammate and being a part of a team is something that made me thrive because I wasn't just doing it for myself. And that amount of purpose for me was what made me, I think, succeed. And especially my first year competing, I had sat out a year. I was so excited to compete and contribute, to contribute to my team. One Big Tens that year was so exciting. Big Tens was always such a fun time for me. I have like so many fond memories of competing and just having the swimmers sit around the pool deck cheering for you Mm -hmm. super loud. It's just, there's nothing like it in in this sport. So Mm -hmm. I love that. And then I won my national title that year as a freshman, I guess red red shirt freshman. And that was also just incredible. And just, it just, because I didn't really expect it. It was something I always wanted to do and I knew I could do it, but to do it that first year was crazy. But yeah, it's definitely something hard to do. I never did it after that. You were still always up in the top prop there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I always contribute or I always say like NCAAs is like very similar to Olympic trials, I think, like as far as pressure is concerned. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because it's that team aspect and you just want to like do well for your team. But I always felt like a lot of pressure at those meets for sure. 
I totally get what you're saying. And I loved that about college too, that it was just this bigger team thing that you were a part of something. And there was this crew, like part of your extended family, like always there cheering for you and honestly wanting you to do well because it helped them too. Like it was a neat connection that we don't really get as divers anywhere mm-hmm, exactly. else. So at the diving, we don't normally get the big crowds unless it's a huge meet as well. And so it's such an awesome experience, mm-hmm. I think, and, and preparing you for things like trials and Olympic games Absolutely. And, World and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Great experience for sure. Yeah. So tell us about the lead up to 2016 because you've been to a trials. You now have your eyes set on Rio for 2016. You're telling me you feel pressure at NCAAs, but like, going into trials, like it's all on the line there. So walk us through like the lead up to and and making that team for 2016. Yeah. So the year leading up was actually not the best year for me. It was pretty rocky. I was having lots of neck problems, just kind of like a chronic thing for me over the years. Didn't end up performing super well at that 2015 world championships the summer before the Olympic year, just because of all that. So that was really hard. Um, having struggled with synchro and individual. And those were obviously, I was, you know, had my eyes set on making both of those events for Rio. It was really hard. So I was also struggling a lot with my mental health. Um, It was just a lot of pressure I think I was putting on myself. So with that, with school, with the Olympic year coming up, it definitely was all weighing on me. Um, Had a lot of great conversations with my coach Jenny Kahn Johansson, who was also coaching me a lot of the time. And my just coach's so wife. you guys listening, she was my synchro partner yes. in 2000 on 10 meters. She made the 96 and 2000 team. So great resource. Awesome person. Shout out yes. to Jenny. Woo. Go Jenny. <laughs> um, you know, she was a huge help as well because, you know, she had a very similar life story, I guess, to me. She was homeschooled in high school. I was homeschooled in high school. You know, she had been to two Olympic games. And she just had a lot of wisdom and knowledge to give to me. So she was really, really helping a lot with synchro stuff, with just getting my mind right, getting my confidence up. My confidence was just like really, really low, I think at the time. And I just remember Drew being like, do you think it was like the summer after Worlds? I was really disappointing. He's like, do you think that you can make an Olympic team right now? And I was just like, no. (laughs) And he was like, well, I do. And I think that you should be really confident about where you're at right now. I know you feel like you're struggling, but just know I believe in you and I'm in your corner. And he's just, he's always been like that from day one, the first day I stepped on deck here at IU. And uh, that's been amazing uh, just to have like a coach that believes in you that much. Definitely a huge difference maker. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of just put my head down and like worked that whole year. Some people were off to World Series meets for a decent amount of that time, I had stayed home because I didn't qualify for them. And I was also taking a red shirt year, an Olympic red shirt, just to focus on my platform training. And I kind of just, there was like maybe a three, four month period where it was just like tunnel vision. Jenny was coaching me for a lot of that time because Drew was traveling with the IU team and, you know, to world series meets. And I was just head down training. Mm -hmm. And I think I just got into this zone of like, I was you know, putting up some pretty good numbers at practice as far as like practice meets that we were doing. I remember Jenny told me this like way later, but she was like, I remember there was this one time where you just put down a crazy five dives in a row. Like she was like, it was scary. She's like, I remember I called Drew and I was like, just, just like did these amazing dives. That was insane. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool to hear like after the fact, um, of course, not 
during that time because that probably would have made me a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) She knew you well, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, at the time, I I really like didn't want to think about outcome at all. I didn't want to think about really the Olympics. I actually used to tell my family, I was like, don't say the O word, don't say Olympics to me, please. Just like, I don't want to talk about it because it was already in my head so much. And not to say I wasn't confident because I think I was really building confidence in that time. I think I just wanted to stay in the here and now, stay in the moment and do what I needed to do every day so I could be as prepared as possible for trials. And I think by the time trials rolled around, I felt like I knew it was my time. Like mm-hmm. in 2012, I was like, no, like, you know, I'm just a kid, like I need more experience. And then 2016 rolls around and I'm like, no, this is, this is my time. And so I kind of just walked on deck with a purpose and I just decided that I was going to put myself on the Olympic team. I was like, I'm going to do it. That was a really big shift from a year prior. So I was really, really proud of that more so than, you know, the results that I had at the meet. Honestly, I was way more proud of mentally where I was able to put myself after that past year. I think that's huge. And I agree, like crazy things can happen in a small amount of time. So like, don't ever count yourself out, right? If you're in a bad place and something's coming up, you can still change. Like you can still make these huge changes that can, you know, when you change your mindset, it starts to change your physical performance. It changes the way you think, the way you respond, the way you react to things. Like it literally changes everything when you think differently. Right. And you're like Mm -hmm. evidence of that right here. I love that you set boundaries. You were like, I know that I don't want to hear this word. I don't want other people like planting this in my brain. I am focusing on a very specific thing. And so you told people, don't say this around me. Like, please respect my boundaries. Because a lot of times people just take pressure from others instead of saying, hey, look, I think this is where I'm at. And I just appreciate a little space or a little like, don't add anymore. I've got it, I've got it under control. Like whatever it is, like we need as athletes to feel comfortable setting boundaries with especially close friends and family who we see all the time and hear things from all the time. And those people can sometimes add a lot of pressure unknowingly, you know, unintentionally. But if that's what you need to do to like recognize that and set the boundaries, I think that was really, really wise that you did that. And I don't know if you did that intentionally or not, but it was a really smart move on your part for sure. Thank you. No, absolutely. And I definitely did it intentionally. And I think it's just because even though the year prior, my confidence was lacking, I feel like I've always known who I was and what I need from people. And I'm luckily close enough with my family and friends to feel comfortable telling them, hey, I would really appreciate even like, you don't have to text me. Good luck. Like I need to focus. So I'm sorry. I can't make this dinner before I compete. Like I can't see you guys. I really, really want to focus. So for any athletes out there, don't be afraid to just tell people what you need. It's so important. It is definitely a difference maker. You know, even if you have to preface, be like, Hey, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I love you guys, but this is just what I need right now. And I just really would love and appreciate that support. So that's kind of how I did it. And I was just like, that would just be the best way for you guys to help me out here. (laughs) Well, I think that's Um, smart because it it lets people know that they are helping you by doing this certain thing. Even if it's like staying away from you or not talking about something like they actually know that they're supporting you in doing that thing. So that's great. So what was the trials? Like you have this great headset, this mindset going into it. You were put yourself on that Olympic team. What was the outcome? How did you feel? And what was that time between the trials and the Olympic Games? I think it was all just such a dream, honestly. Like I really did feel like I knew I was going to do it. And, you know, I, I had some great 
lists. I remember I think my semifinal was a really good score. And I actually remember Jin Lee, who is uh, Krista Palmer's coach, came up to me after my semifinal. And I believe I did. It was my 626C at the time, arm stand back triple. And I had done it, I think, for nines. And she looked at me so seriously and she was like, you would beat the Chinese with that. And I was like, oh, stop it. (laughs) And I was like, you know, like, thank you so much. Like, I appreciate it because obviously the Chinese are elite in our sport. They're the best of the best. So to have a compliment like that meant so much to me. But, you know, it's funny that she had said that at the time because I did not know what was coming later on and how I would perform in the semifinal of Rio. We can talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I shadowing. Thank you for (laughs) foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just was really confident and like secure in myself and my diving. And, you know, I had the best supportive coaches, teammates, family. It, It really was everything came together at the right moment. So I'm just so appreciative of that experience. And then everything in between was just really fun. Like I was really kind of feel like living it up, making my first Olympic team, like really just having a great time. Um, I mean, I was a little nervous, but I feel like I was more excited. And to be honest, we had some really good guidance and just talks leading up to Rio. So many amazing people. I mean, Scott Doney, Patrick Jeffries, Steve Foley at the time was our high performance director. And he just he is actually really big reason, I want to say, um, that I had the mindset that I did, especially going into the Olympic Games. And that was pretty much just like, he would say, you know, no one's going to really remember what you did at the Olympics or the score that you put up or the place that you got, but you're going to remember how you felt and what you took away from this experience. And it's up to you on whether you're disappointed with that or if you're appreciative of every moment that you got, that you got to live out your dream. Mm -hmm. And it was just something like got to me with that, where I was just like, you're right. This moment is what I make of it. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to have the best time. And if things didn't go my way, well, look at what I got to do. So it was kind of, that was my headspace going into it. That's very cool. And so you make the team. What does that feel like? Oh gosh. I mean, just surreal. Totally like a dream. I think it sounds very cliche, I know, but I think it's just everything that you've worked for for so long. And it's just like, I was so emotional (laughs) in the best way possible, of course. And, you know, all those moments, the journey, it's really about the journey for, I think, most athletes. So that's the part that makes me so, it made me so proud. And just the people that have been a part of it for so long, and it's about them as well. So every single person that has been on this journey with me, you know, they have made this happen. Like they have been a small piece of it. So I always like to tell people that, and I, it's never just yourself, you know, it's always this army that you have behind you. And that's what makes it really special. And, uh, and just the moment. So worth it. Nice. Okay. So Rio was Rio, everything that you dreamed, thought it would be, was it, I don't even want to put words in your mouth, but just tell us about Rio. I'm and the crazy wind and bats <laughs> flying around in the pool. <laughs> I was about to say. And uh, the green swamp that was happening yes, in the pool. <laughs> yes, definitely crazy things happened for sure. But, you know, Drew always prepares us for things to not go our way. His favorite quote is, um, planning is everything, but the plan means nothing. So basically, <laughs> prepare for the unknown and be ready for it. Same thing with Scott Doney saying, pray for rain. That happened at the World Cup prior where we had to get the Olympic spot. So 
little backstory. It was the last opportunity to qualify our country spot for women's 10-year synchro. And I was doing synchro with Amy Cozette at the time. It started to rain. And so we're like, okay, we can deal with this. We got this. And then um, really started to downpour right when we were on 407, the only dive where we're grabbing our tucks. And so <laughs> we're like, great. Uh, all right, let's do it. So I just remember there was like an awning on the tower and we just kind of ran out and did it. Was good enough. So, you know, we ended up qualifying the spot. And I remember after that, I think it was Malaysia was up and the lights go out and the power goes out. And so not only that, it's thundering at this point, downpouring rain. There's no power. It's the last round of dives. So the mic isn't even working and obviously the score isn't even working. So they had to literally yell up to Malaysia, announce their dive without a speaker, anything. And then um, use scorecards for the for the scores. Wow, this is a World Cup, and this is a World Cup, and we were just like, <laughs> "What is going on?" But anyway, pretty crazy story, and that is how we qualified our Olympic spot for synchro. Nice. But yeah, going into Rio, I mean, it was just so much fun. Um, the team that I was on was just the best team. So much fun. Um, had some pretty great veterans on that team that I really looked up to: uh, David Medaya, Abby Johnston, uh, Christian Ibsen. And just a fun group to hang out with and be around. So I feel like I was just kind of in the moment, soaking it all in, just trying to really have fun. It was really just about like enjoying the experience and like fully said, just like, this is what you make of it. So going into the prelim of individual, I just was like, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. Like, I don't really have basically my only goal was like, I really want to, you know, qualify for the final. I had never made a world final. And I was just like, I'm just going to like be me. And like Drew would always say, yeah, just go be you. And so ended up qualifying in third with a personal best in that. And then, so I was pretty surprised about that. And I'm not a scoreboard watcher. So after the prelim, I looked up, I was like, oh, I was like, whoa. He's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, you did that. So then I remember going into the semifinal, which I believe was a 10 a.m. semifinal. So and of course, do you start at zero every time? They start at zero every time. I personally got really lucky with great weather for my events. Other people, not so much with the wind. And well, I guess there was a, a green pool for my yeah. synchro event. Do, do you have any insight <laughs> into that? There were so many rumors going because I was on the deck, like doing like reporting and stuff for NBC. Yeah. But like yeah. nobody really knew what was going on. It wasn't, guys, it wasn't just a green pool. You couldn't see through the water. It was like it was very much swamp murky water. green. Yes, yeah, swamp yeah. water. Like, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> did it smell weird? Like, what do you think it was? Does anybody have a clue? So what I heard, <laughs> the rumor was that like the filter broke and then there was like algae growing, really weird stuff. They the ended fast up fast growing algae. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. That's all I that's what I heard. The chemicals were off, so yeah. made it this weird color. Eventually it changed colors. It got to like neon green at one point. <laughs> it was wild. Did that affect like spotting and things or anything, or not really? So the funny thing is I didn't really realize, like I knew it was turning green. And then by the last dive <laughs> of the final for synchro, I remember turning around doing my last dive. And I looked because I like look at the water before I was turning around. I was like, that's like really green. And that was <laughs> that was that was my thought going into my last dive. <laughs> um, but yeah, it turned pretty bright. And yeah, it kind of did smell. And it was like it was making my contacts really dry. I remember I was having trouble with my contacts like that whole time. 
So yeah, it was kind of a mess, but eventually we got back to the bright blue pool for individual. And so that was great. Yeah. 10 a.m. prelim was the perfect day, beautiful outdoor weather. I remember I was really proud because I got there before any other diver and I was like, oh, I'm the first one. I beat the Chinese here. And so had a great semi, ended up in second and to my surprise, um, ended up beating one of the Chinese divers. So ended up splitting them for the final and had to dive right after what ended up being the Olympic champion. So how did you go into finals? Like, did you have pressure from the results of semis and prelims or were you in still in a pretty good headspace? Like diving in between the Chinese is a very intimidating place to be because they have kind of dominated our sport, especially our event for a very long time. People sneak past them every once in a while, but for the most part, they pretty much win everything. Yes. So definitely something I was trying so, so hard not to think about. You know, I remember doing, I forget who it was with. It wasn't with you, but it was with somebody else on after my semifinal. Like, oh, like they were like, what do you think about your shot at a medal? And that's like the first time I heard someone really ask that. And I was in medal contention, which was a crazy thought to me. Mm-hmm. Not something I wanted to think about. And I was like, you know what? That's like, great. Thanks, I was like, thanks media. I <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> right. And so I'm just like, yep, I knew this was coming. And I was just like, you know what? That'd be great. But I really just want to, you know, stay in the moment and do five great dives. And I said something to, along those lines. And great response. Made it really short and sweet. Just wanted it in and out of my head as, as soon as possible. So I definitely felt a little bit of the pressure, but I was trying to, you know, stay off social media, not do any of that not kind of engage with it as much as possible. So ended up doing all right in the final, didn't medal, ended up 10th. But I was kind of just, I was really happy to just be in the fight, really happy to be there, really appreciative of it. And, you know, I don't think it's, I necessarily like miss my dives because I was nervous. I think I was really staying in the moment and really just happy to be there, like I said. But I don't know, just that's what happens. I, I was still pretty not experienced as far as uh, making world finals at the time. Like that was my first one. I was just really excited to be in that field with amazing divers. I've looked up to my entire career. I got to dive beside, I think in prelim semis and finals, I I dove near or right after or before Melissa Wu, who mm-hmm. is an amazing Australian diver. I really, really look up to her and mm-hmm. she was just really fun. She kind of calmed my nerves because we were just chatting in between, like keeping it really light and it was really nice to be able to dive um, in close proximity to her. So yeah, yeah I mean, it was just sweet. so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We love you, Melissa. If you're listening. Yeah. So going back from there, like you accomplished your goal, you made the finals, you did some phenomenal diving there, like getting to see what I could see on the pool deck. Like I was very impressed. It was awesome. Did you know you were going to go another four years? Because, you know, you got what, like a year left of school, but then there's, you know, that big gap, like was 2020 just, yes, I'm doing this. Yeah. And I will say it was so awesome to have you on the pool deck. It was so, so cool. Cause I'm just like, oh, Laura's here. Like I've obviously looked up to you my entire career. So it was just super, super cool to have you right there at my first Olympics. So that was awesome. Oh, I feel special. (laughs) I was like way at the end. They stuck me at the other end of the pool. I know. I could barely see, but I was like, I get to at least talk to people. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was kind of hoping you would interview me after the semi, but (laughs) (laughs) I would have Um, asked a different question. I think I hope. Yeah. But yes, it was definitely always the plan. I think after that was, you know, I was coming into my confidence that year. You know, trials was a huge, huge confidence booster for me. And then going into, you know, Rio, finally making a world final, Olympic final. I was like, 
all right, I can stand up here with the best of them. Like I can be in the fight. Like I've beat one of the Chinese. I can be in medal contention. Like this could be a real possibility for me, you know, later on. Heading into Tokyo, that was always the plan. So that was right out of Rio. You know, we were having conversations like, you want to go to Tokyo? Like, is this what you, you want to do this again? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And just because I felt like now I was finally like, this was like my time to like really see what I could do on the world stage and um, do that with confidence for the first time. So, And so what was the difference in the road to Tokyo versus the road to Rio? Definitely just a lot more experience. And I don't know, I feel like from the time I was training for Rio to the time I was training to Tokyo, it definitely felt very different. And I'm not really sure exactly why. I don't know if I was just younger and just not as experienced. And I just got, you know, used to that and used to being on the world stage for like leading up to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. But I think that just comes with time and growth and age. And just, I would think I was just got more comfortable within myself, within my diving and just, again, more confident. Uh, That is a huge, huge part of it. So I just had maybe just different Mm self-talk. Like I was like, yeah, you know what? I can do this. It wasn't a question mark. Like, before Rio, I, I didn't really know, like, I didn't really think I could achieve these things. And after that, it was like, yeah, I can. Um, well, it's, so, it's very different telling yourself I want to, and I can, right? Yes. Like that's a totally different, <laughs> totally different mindset. Absolutely. Sure. So I feel like, yeah, I would classify it as that. Like I knew I could, and I just had to, you know, put down the dives and do it mm-hmm. like I did in practice. So yeah, definitely a very big difference there mindset wise. And it just kind of kept building from there. And and yeah, just crazy five years, crazy unprecedented five years of yes, uh, it wasn't four years. <laughs> so, so, yeah. and, and I'm assuming the goal because it was still like synchro and individual, and COVID hits, and like, how does that yes. change things for you? I feel like that it's so weird that that is now like a standard question on this podcast. <laughs> is like, how did COVID affect you? Totally, or totally. It was so very interesting. I guess I just didn't even expect it to be what it was as far as, you know, the Olympics is being postponed, like to that capacity. I was like, no, this is going to like blow by. Like, this is not a big deal. And then when it was, it was just like, okay, we have no choice now. And I remember we were pretty sure they were going to postpone the Olympics a year. And I just remember having these conversations with Drew, my coach, and just being like, well, they're going to do it. Like, they're going to postpone it. Like, how do you feel about it? And I was like, I was like, uh, well, I think a lot of people are going to struggle. I think this is not a year that people have planned for. But how do you, how do you know? Nobody saw it coming. Yeah, I know. Nobody saw it coming. But as far as planning for, like, you know, a lot of people's lives were going to change after an Olympic year. A lot of athletes obviously scheduled their lives around this four-year period, so they were either going to retire or keep going or or figure out what they were going to do next career-wise. And mm-hmm. I was like. You know what? Leading up to 2020, I didn't feel like I was ready to be done. I didn't feel like it was my time yet. And I just wasn't ready to give up diving yet. I had planned to be done after Tokyo. Part of me was a little excited. I was like, oh, I get one more year with this sport and one more year to appreciate it, one more year to cherish it. You just don't have so much time. Like in the grand scheme of things in life, diving is such a small portion of your life. Mm -hmm. And you just only have so much time to physically be able to do 10 meter and just diving in general. So I really looked at it that way in a very, I guess, just wholesome type of way. I was just really sentimental about it. 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? A lot of people are going to struggle and they're going to be not sure what they're going to do, if they're going to keep diving or not. And it's going to be another year of 10 meter and I'm going to be ready for it. I was like, people are going to struggle and not be sure of what they're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I was like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I was like, I think I just decided that again, this is like, I like to put my mind to things and just decide I'm going to do things. I don't know why I, or how I got that mindset, but as soon as I decide to do something for me, there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to do it. I was like, I am going to just try to find all the positives I possibly can in this moment. And in this year, just take it for what it is. And it's not going to be perfect. And it's going to be hard with this year. And we don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be ready for it. That was definitely my mindset going into it. I just had to be ready because I knew people might struggle around me. How did trials and everything go in 2021? Definitely a crazy experience prior to trials. So I happened. I don't don't know this story. (laughs) So I want to know. Yeah. So... I was planning to do synchro with Amy Kozad, who I did synchro with in Rio. So basically from Rio to Olympic trials for Tokyo, I had done synchro with a girl named Taryn Gilliland, who was also my teammate here at IU. We did synchro for a pretty long time for, I want to say about three years. And then I also did synchro with Delaney Schnell for a little bit in that time. Sometimes we would just mix and match at certain nationals and... Right before COVID hit, we actually did synchro. Me, Taryn, and Delaney all did synchro at a nationals, and they ended up winning. That was kind of the pair that was going to go to Worlds at the time. And then, like I said, COVID hit and everything changed. So then I decided to do synchro with Amy Kozad. We actually ended up going to a Grand Prix, to two Grand Prix right before COVID. And then we were planning to train for Tokyo. Things were going well. And then Taryn ended up being injured and it was getting close to crunch time. It was around March, April. Basically, Delaney would be without a synchro partner. So we got to talking and originally we wanted to do synchro. It just never really worked out for us result-wise and we were always close, but Taryn and her were the better team. So once Taryn officially gave up her spot, we decided to do synchro last minute. Mostly just because we always wanted to do synchro. We felt like we were a great team that could potentially podium. It was just something that I felt in my gut that was right. So unfortunately, I had to make a really hard decision to do synchro with Delaney and um, not with Amy. So that was really, really difficult. Synchro is... You were training with Amy too, right? Or had she already gone back to Indy? She was in Indy, but we were still training together. But yeah, obviously, synchro is rough sometimes and you have to make really hard decisions and it's not always the easiest decision. It's not the easiest process when someone has to be left out like that. So funny enough, a similar situation happened in Rio with Mikey, Sam and you know the other synchro partners that they were doing it with at the time. And it ended up being a last minute switcheroo in April and then they ended yeah, up... Yeah, because Trials was their first competition together. It was. Right? Yeah, it was. Crazy. And they got and a silver so, medal in that Olympics. <laughs> and they got a silver medal in that yeah. Olympics. So we did a very, very similar thing. We did a switch in April and we had competed a couple times before, but not a lot. We had 10 days of training. She came to IU and we had 10 days of training before trials. So 10 days of preparation <laughs> and uh, ended up winning. <laughs> oh, man. It was definitely just a crazy experience that I didn't really foresee. 
but ended up being so, so worth it. And I obviously, I came out of retirement to die with her again. So (laughs) that's why I'm here today. But yeah, it was pretty awesome to have that experience with her and individually ended up getting fourth. So that was a pretty deep field. I think that we had, honestly, it was like probably six of us that could have potentially made an Olympic team. So really deep field and everyone was really close. So just ended up making it for women's 10 meter synchro. How did that feel though? Like, how did you process all that? Like having gotten so much more confident and realizing that you are at that like world stage, were you defeated after that? Or were you like, I'm just all in for synchro now? Like, how did you process that Mm -hmm. between trials and the Olympic games? I actually think that I processed it pretty well. I feel like at the time I was planning to be done after Tokyo. So, you know, I was really grateful I got to go. I I didn't know how things were going to shake out for synchro or individual. And I was really glad to make it in synchro. And I think just something that was, that kind of gave me perspective too, is just kind of watching some of my friends also not make the team. And just uh, knowing I had already made it in synchro, I think I almost felt for them more than myself. That was something that kind of gave me more perspective on the situation and just it can be anyone on any given day. And so I don't know, I think I was really at peace. I was really happy and content with what I was able to do and that I was still going for synchro, which meant just as much to me. And now synchro is one of the first events at Tokyo, right? So you guys did really, really well, but Tokyo had to be wildly different from Rio because COVID and like nobody was there. So what was that experience? And Walk us through getting the silver Mm -hmm. medal and like all the things like we want to feel all the feels with you. I mean, it was pretty crazy. I think, I mean, up until we got there, I was like, all right, is it going to happen? Is it going to (laughs) happen? Because, you know, it's just, you never know uh, with COVID. So, I mean, I remember even getting texts like in the village, like, is this still going on from like people (laughs) I knew? Yeah. People I knew from back home. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) it's like, I can't answer this right now. But yeah, I think they did such a great job considering the circumstances. So it did feel really feel like an Olympic Games, obviously, without a lot of the media, without a lot of, you know, the friends and family, of course, and the people in the stands, the crowds, like, that's the biggest thing that is obviously different because you're just used to going to an Olympic Games and it's just Mm -hmm. a packed stadium. And it's just so even so different from, you know, our world championships or World Cups. It's just such a different atmosphere that is just it's so unique to the Olympic games. That was definitely different. (laughs) But again, it was such a fun team. It was great to be back at the Olympics and just feeling all the Olympic feels and, you know, being in the village and yeah, there was like mask mandates and COVID tests every morning. But for some reason I felt really calm and I felt like really safe in the bubble that we were in. We were only allowed at our venue and at the village. We couldn't go to any other venues, sadly, to watch, which was definitely heartbreaking just to, because you just love to go to other events and just watch and cheer everyone on from Team USA. But, you know, we watched and got to connect with people in the village, all of our Team USA teammates. So that was really fun. But yeah, I was the second day of competition. I believe women's three meter synchro was first and then us. And so we were day two and I just remember waking up that day and I don't know why I felt like this, but I woke up and I felt so calm and at ease. And usually I'm like, oh my God, like I just, (laughs) I'm usually pretty anxious and today's the day. But 
I felt really calm. And I was like, what? Like, why do I feel like this? And then some little voice in my head was like, you're going to do it today. You're going to meddle. And I just didn't know what that was because I didn't really, I've never really felt that before. It was just this confident, like, yeah, you're going to do it today. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I was like, all right, we're going to do it. So had a great, you know, warm up, everything. And I just really felt like, again, at ease, at peace. And I think that's probably a big part of it. I was just really content with everything in my diving career at that up until that point. I was happy. I was about to end well at the time. I was about to end my career, still loving the sport, still appreciating everything. And I felt really lucky. And so kind of that was just where I was at. I was in a really, really good headspace, you know, excited for the day. And um yeah, we we had uh well, the first two dives were a little bit rough, <laughs> but, um, you know, had to kind of come back from the voluntaries, had a pretty good front three and a half. I was like, okay. And then inward three and a half is always my struggle dive. So I was nervous for that one. Hit the water, was vertical. I was like, okay, good enough. And then I just remember thinking, at least at the time, I was like, oh, I don't have to do another one of those ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, you know, obviously still really excited and happy and just also not watching the scoreboard. But I felt like we were doing well enough where we potentially could have a shot. Delaney does look at the scoreboard. So I just remember going into the last dive, we were standing on seven meter and I was doing everything possible to not listen, look, do anything. I remember I plugged my ears, closed my eyes, and I was just like, I don't want to know. I don't want, I don't want to look at you looking at the scoreboard. I don't want to see your reaction. I don't want any of it. And so she knew we were, gosh, I don't even know where we like now, like if we were in third or second or fourth, like, I don't even know where we were, but you know, was really like, we're going to, I was like, we're going to hit this dive. I was like, we're going to hit this back twister. And so did one of the best back twisters of my life was really excited when I hit the water and I was like, Ooh, that was a good one. And so I finally got to look at the scoreboard and I was kind of just like reacting to, I think our score, I think we got 78 points. I was like, okay, that's a good score. And so I wasn't really reacting to us being in metal contention at the time because there was still a lot of teams to go. Uh, We were only the second team, second in the order. So there was a lot of teams to go. So as the teams kind of went on, I was like, oh, I was just kind of standing like, oh my God. And um, Delaney... (laughs) Delaney was like, oh, like, well, if the Germans don't get past us, like it could be silver. And I was like, silver. I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? And I was just standing there like, oh my God, I'm sure there's some funny shots from those moments, but (laughs) she was just kind of laughing at me. And sure enough, we ended up getting silver and I was just an absolute mess on the deck, like bawling my eyes out. It's like, woo, making me emotional to talk about. Oh, it's a big moment. You should be emotional, like recounting it. It comes right back to you, doesn't it? Like it's powerful. Yeah. And just like remember seeing my teammates rush to me, like my teammate at IU, Andrew, he's like my little brother. That was super special. And I I remember bawling, like hugging him. Mm. And I remember saying like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That was super special. Mm. And then, you know, just got to talk to, um, my family on a live screen right after the award ceremony. And that was again, so emotional. My dad was absolutely a mess, like (laughs) never seen him cry so much, but yeah, they were just elated. So that was just amazing. But yeah, 
Does it still a, feel like that actually happened or is it still kind of like, is this real? <laughs> like, is this? Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure like you like are the same. Like if you like look at your mental, you're just like, wow, yeah, I did that. That's crazy. Like, I'm sure I'll always feel like that. I mean, I have it in my living room and it's just, you know, something I look at every once in a while. I'm like, wow, like, yeah, that's something that I happened. did. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously just an amazing experience and just tried to, obviously with all the COVID stuff going around, I, I think I did a really good job of just like staying in the moment and feeling like it was the same type of Olympic experience that I had just with a little bit of a different, I don't know, I guess, adjustments to the (laughs) games, but, you know, luckily we had, you know, the best team cheering us on in the crowd and yeah, it was just surreal. That's so cool. So that was it. You'll never have to do another inward three and a half again <laughs> until <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so, so yes, what just like kidding. you you retired lying to yourself is okay. Sometimes we just don't know. <laughs> so you retired. You started a whole job. You did some stuff for the Winter Games, like a research analyst type person. Then you came back. So what? Why? Yes. Like what? What happened in these you know short stint? Because it, it's only been three years. Like it's not been this huge gap of time. Like you had five years and now it's only this three-year stint. So totally. what made you decide to put the suit back on? It's still kind of crazy to me. Sometimes I, I'll i be on back and I'll be like, wow, can't believe I decided to come back. <laughs> um, but in a good way, I'm just like, you know, obviously grateful to be back and it was the right decision, but it wasn't something that I planned to do. And I wasn't kind of sitting, you know, at home, like, oh, I miss diving. I like I wasn't dying to be at the pool or anything. So it kind of came as a surprise to me, to be completely honest. I like to ask people, like, did you expect me to come back? And I get mixed reviews. I get some people who are like, absolutely, you were going to come back. And some people were like, no, I didn't think you were. (laughs) And so I think I was just, it just made sense. Delaney definitely reeled me back in. I'm going to blame her a little bit. You know, she, we stayed in touch a lot within that year. And, you know, she just kind of was confiding in me just like, oh, like I miss having you around. Like I miss doing synchro with you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I miss you too. Like, um, but I'm doing really well here. I'm really happy. And I really like this post diving life. She's like, I'm not like, you know, I'm going to pressure you to come back, but just saying like, if you ever wanted to, I would be totally in. (laughs) And so I ended up thinking about it for a little bit. And I was like, oh, is this crazy that I'm even thinking about it? And then it was like around September, October of 2022 that me and my Olympic teammate, Cassidy Cook, who was at in Philadelphia with me at the time, she was also retired and she was thinking about coming back. So at the time I wasn't, we would go with each other to the pool and just play around. And I went with her mostly because I had a car <laughs> and she did it. But I also was like, oh, yeah, like that'll be fun to dive together and like do that again. And it was just springboard. So I just thought it was fun. And, you know, as she got more serious about it, I started thinking about it more and confiding in her. Like, is this something that is this like, am I crazy? Like, is this a stupid idea? And, you know, she was, of course, supportive as ever and ended up. It was like around the holidays that I ended up calling Delaney. I was like, uh, yeah, I think uh, I want to do this again. And I was like, I just want to do synchro. I feel like we have a really good shot at doing this again. We're really not that far out. I'm not that far removed from the sport. And it makes sense. It's not that far away. So at the time, it was only two and a half years away. 
So yeah, I, I decided to uh, pack up my things and uh, move back to Bloomington, Indiana and uh, get going again. So pretty crazy. And now it's been officially a year since I've been back. How does it feel to be back in? You just got a national title, um, you know, in December. Like, how does it feel? You're heading to world championships soon. Hopefully this will be airing before world championships or leading up to it. Like, how how are you feeling on this journey back through it and just focusing on synchro? Mm-hmm. Like, do you miss individual doll or are you like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I've definitely had some people who are like convincing me to do individual <laughs> since coming back. But what I what I think I just realized is this is just what I want to do. I just feel like I'm all in for synchro. I want to put all of my time and energy into doing that again and hopefully trying to get another medal. So I think, especially as I get older, I think for my body's sake, I have you know some neck stuff going on that I've had for a long time. So I just want to make sure that I'm doing smart things for my body and also just training wise. But I mean, I think you know if I really wanted to do it, I think I could do it. But this is just what I want to do in my comeback. So I'm really, really happy and content with it, with my decision. And let's see, we had like, I want to say like three months, three, four months to prepare for um, nationals back in the spring of last year. So I think I got back up on 10 meter around early March, ended up, maybe it was less than that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Three months, three months to prepare for nationals. So I didn't really feel that ready for it, to be completely honest. I wasn't really performing the way I wanted to. The first meet back was actually a World Cup Series meet in Montreal, and I just did not dive well at all there. But it was also meant to be like a kind of get competing again, shake the rust off, um, Mm -hmm. see what we need to work on and take it from there and try to make those corrections and changes at nationals. So it was a little better at nationals, still definitely not where I wanted to be, but it was enough to qualify us to Worlds. And then Worlds rolls around. I finally feel like I'm starting to feel like myself again. And then luckily enough, I feel like I honestly like peaked on the right day for our final for World Champs. So ended up getting a bronze medal there with Delaney and securing an Olympic quota spot for Paris. So that was very exciting. Obviously, it was our goal going in to do that. Not, not but... too bad for six months back in the pool, getting a world medal like that. Yeah, whatever. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did not expect to. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was not really that nervous, to be honest. I was feeling good mentally, just I think because it's such a comfortable environment for me at this point. And just seeing everyone again was so fun and exciting and just being back on the world stage on the pool deck. So I feel like that almost like put me at ease. And just competing with these girls that I've competed with over the years. So it just felt like going back home. But yeah, I just didn't know where we kind of stood up against these girls. So it was interesting to see that. And then now to know that uh, we were able to do that was really, really exciting. And it just gives us a lot of confidence going into this Olympic year for sure. So I have to ask the relationship between you and Delaney, like, is it like you haven't missed a beat? Is it different? Have things changed at all? Or because you guys stayed in touch? What's the dynamic there too? Because like synchro, like kind of like you mentioned, can be volatile. Like, are there other people at play where things could get shaken up again at the last minute? Like, because if you're a synchro specialist, like that's a bigger deal, right? So, mm-hmm. so what's that kind yeah. of scenario? From the get go, I made it very clear. I was like, I am coming out of retirement to dive with you. You are the person I want to dive with. Nobody else. And so, like that was really solidified from the get go. Obviously, 
things can go wrong and, you know, injuries can happen. So like, you never know in that regard, but for us, it's a done deal. That was always going to be the plan um, heading into Paris. So honestly, we really just didn't skip a beat. It was so nice to be able, I go to train in Arizona all the time because she's uh, busy with grad school a lot of the time. So it's easier for me to go there. It's okay and to I, admit you just want to get tan. Like that's okay. You can tell us. It's just you know about me. the tan. Um, yeah, I really do love getting tan. So <laughs> Delaney will definitely second that about me. She doesn't like when I get too tan because then she's like, oh, but I'm not tan enough. <laughs> But that's always just a running joke. But yeah, it was just really fun. I remember the first time I did a training trip there after coming out of retirement, she's like, ah, you're back. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just, yeah, it was really like we didn't skip a beat. So it's just amazing to do synchro with her. Um, We get each other on a lot of levels. And um, Dwight Dumay, her coach, likes to say we match intensities. (laughs) So we we work really, really well together and uh, really, really excited for this year with her. So. Yeah. And we've been um, doing a lot of things post world champs to make um, certain changes for our synchro and just otherwise. So we did a camp earlier on with all of us, her coach, my coach, um, just to make little tweaks and changes and really hyper focus on those little details while we can before heading into like another world champs. So we're really excited about that. And those changes luckily showed up at nationals and specifically with our inward, we've been doing lots of changes on that. So was really happy with how that turned out at nationals. So have you made peace with the fact that you have to do more inwards? Like, are you happier about that now? (laughs) I'm happier now. Luckily I've made some of these good changes. I've been needing to change for a long time now on inwards. So Drew was joking to me when I was doing this change. Like he's like, you aren't too old to make these changes. An old dog can still learn new tricks, huh? I'm like, yeah. I was like, thanks, Drew. (laughs) But no, I'm really excited. It's really just like the ankle timing and uh, my press with uh, my inward start. So that has made a world of difference. So I'm excited to see what we can do uh, later on here next month in Doha. Awesome. Well, where can we follow you online to cheer you on and to watch this journey toward Paris and hopefully uh, another Olympic medal? Yes. So mostly just on Instagram at Jessica Parado. Yeah, it's pretty much all I'm on right now. No TikTok or anything, but we'll see if that changes before Paris. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make sure to link to the show notes uh, so people can follow you and, and keep up with all the journeys and stuff. We are stoked. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Everybody's journey is a little bit different. And so I love that you could just come on and, and be real and share yours with us, all the ups and the downs. You know, nobody's journey is perfect. There is no perfect journey, but that's what makes it beautiful, right? Because it's all unique. Absolutely. And it, it makes us who we are. And we're super proud of you. And we're excited to watch you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests. And it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.